Hello and welcome to the latest indispensable, unmissable and all-round unforgettable edition of Careers Talk. I'm Kerry Eustace. Last week, thousands of public sector workers took to the streets of London and Glasgow to protest against the prospect of job losses. We're talking about preschool, we're talking about care for your elderly relative at home, we're talking about rubbish collection, street cleaning, we're talking about your public libraries. These are the things that are going to be cut. Later in the pod, we'll be joined by expert recruiter Mark Turner from executive search and selection consultancy Gate & B Sanderson, who has some wise words on what the future holds for the public sector and how public sector workers can best face the challenges ahead. Highlights from the job chart include a top job on a Formula One news website and, of course, another furious rant from the new Rant Room feature. But first, let's hear from the lovely Julian Lindley, whose message this week is all about having the courage to ask for a pay rise. He's urging you not to be afraid to confront your boss. Hello, this is Julian Lindley back again, and my tip for this week is don't be afraid to confront your boss. Everyone encounters a time in their career where something happens in the office that they're not particularly happy with, and they have to confront their boss about it. I'd say nine times out of ten, this has usually got to do with pay rises or your job title at work. And I actually think it's a very good thing. It shows a strength of character and an ambition if you actually talk to your boss about a pay rise or wanting your job to change. However, it's a really, really crucial detail about how you do this that will, well, it, it will mean you're successful or not. And that is there's got to be a reason for you to either be promoted or be given a pay rise. As a boss myself, nothing drives me more crackers than when someone pins at a promotion or wanting more money on an emotional reason. You know, they approach it in a very emotional way, saying, well, I deserve more money, I want this, and I, you know. And in actual fact, you have got to approach that conversation as a business transaction, because that's what it is. You're asking somebody to give you more money or give you a bigger job, and you've got to be able to demonstrate either why you're worth it or what you're going to add to the business as a result of being given that extra responsibility. First of all, be really clear about what you're going to say. So you go into your meeting with an objective and you can clearly demonstrate why you want and how you can achieve the things that you're talking to them about. I would take solutions take ideas and take excitement into that meeting because if you have a problem it's almost as if you want to dangle a carrot in front of your boss so that they will go with you I mean gosh it can be so scary I still get scared about talking to my boss sometimes you know it's it's something all of us experience paranoia starts kicking in oh god what if I'm gonna get fired blah blah you know I understand it completely but of course you have to sometimes be brave and a boss will really respect you for that the people that get promoted are the ones that show initiative, that show bravery and show that they can actually do the job excellently. So my tip for this week is don't be afraid to confront your boss. That was Creative Director at Bauer, Julian Lindley, on standing up for yourself in the workplace. Now, I'm joined in the studio by Ali White, who's come to talk about switching to the charity sector. Well, so yeah, tell me about this week's Q&A, switching to the charity sector for career changes and stuff, right? Uh-huh, yeah, great discussion as always. We had um, lots of uh, good panellists, including Oxfam, GB, the Variety Club, which is a children's charity, Macmillan Cancer Support, I think lots of people know, 
two-way development, places individuals to work with charities, NGOs. So yeah, really good discussion this time. Okay, tell me about what people were asking about most. So it's career changes. Were there any specific trends or roles they wanted to get into or routes that they were coming in from? Yeah, well, quite a mix, really. A lot of people wanted to crack into the charity sector. um, And included in this really is they're wondering if they could move from the private sector without experience. And also people that already may work within a charity, but they want to get into a different sort of area. So how um, easy is it to move from the private sector to the third sector without experience? What did the experts say? Well, that's some good advice, really. The thing they're saying is uh, um, charities are thinking quite businesslike at the moment because they want to be accountable to their supporters and donors. So a lot of um, skills can actually transfer directly, say, sort of their skills and knowledge, communications, PR and finance were kind of mentioned. But there, there's all sorts of ways you could try and get a, go about it. Like volunteering is one thing they said is very useful because it shows a commitment to working in a charity. And you can even try and get the skills you're aiming to work in as part of this voluntary experience. So say you want to go into fundraising, you can work in the fundraising departments, maybe unpaid for a few months. And that's really helpful. But they say, you know, the usual things, really. Make sure your skills match any positions you see. Um, you know, make sure your CV is telling people that you've got the skills and you want to transfer them that maybe see a um, careers coach or get some help with that and just make a list as well make a list of skills that you have and what you think they can offer and make sure you're matching yourself to vacancies that there might be around at the moment. Okay I'll tell you one post that really caught my eye it was from um, working for a charity and um, and they've been asked about what areas were most in demand if you wanted to change where there was a it was a gap in the skills market and they were sort of talking about legal and IT Mm. and fundraising as well so if you were coming from those areas that you were going to be quite valued were there any more sort of tips like that that people could sort of bear in mind? Yeah, well, one thing that was really interesting that was mentioned, there was a survey done for the National Council of Volunteering Organisations and looking at a skills gap in this sector and saying, like some that you've mentioned already, like marketing, legal knowledge, strategic use of IT. So they could be really strong areas to try and move across into. Is it a good time to career change into a charity role? Uh, there was positive um, things mentioned, yes. Uh, uh, definitely a lot of our panellists were quite positive about that there's sort of areas that they think might be a bit stronger at the moment because of the current climate sort of saying you know it's a bit depressing but it's just the way things are at the moment like debt charities homelessness social care you know alcohol and substance misuse all and especially I thought was interesting is NEETS if you've heard of these it's young people they're meant to be not in employment education or training so anything like charities that help out with this could be a strong area to aim for brilliant thanks Ali Now, there's a new breed of young high achievers making the news because of their choice to sidestep university and ultimately avoid joining the deluge of unemployed graduates and instead go straight into the world of work or find an apprenticeship. This trend was identified in an Education Guardian story, which also revealed survey findings from Not Going to Uni, a web portal that offers help to those who are not going to uni, that two-thirds of students don't think they'll get a job related to their degree, despite the fact three-quarters think a degree is a necessity and not a choice. This got careers thinking about how important or not a degree can be in your professional life. I took to the streets of London with a mic to find out more. My name's Tanya Nelligan. Um, I work part-time in a bar and I've got a degree in sociology. So how important, Tanya, do you think it is to have a degree in the current job market? 
Well, to be honest, I don't think it is that important anymore. I graduated two years ago and I'm having difficulty finding a job. I've got friends who um, didn't go to university and just went straight into the job market and they've got houses, they've got, they just seem more successful. I feel like I've taken two steps backwards, really. My name's David and I'm a civil servant. Have you got a degree, David? No, I haven't. So do you think it's important to have a degree in the workplace? Absolutely not, no. I went to grammar school back in Wales many, many years ago and um, I played a lot of sport. I thoroughly enjoyed my time, but I only came away with one O-level. My career hasn't hinged on me having a degree and I've done extremely well in my career, in my uh, field that I work in. Right, I started from the bottom and I've worked up to the top. My name's Becky McGrath. I currently work as a um, receptionist for an insurance company in the city. Um, from my experiences of working within the city as um, someone who isn't a graduate, I do see that um, it would be difficult to get ahead and difficult to perhaps um, gain employment in a fast-paced sort of forward-moving business as I know that they're very keen on the um, in the company that I work at which is a FTSE 100 insurance company very good reputation they are very very keen on employing graduates I do think that perhaps somebody who was younger and hadn't been to university um, would find it difficult to gain employment within that environment uh, my name is Ian Emond and I work on a website my, my previous role I was a flight attendant and there are a lot of people who they're more uh, cornered into what they can do because they don't have transferable skills. Once you have a degree, nobody can take that away from you and you can build on it, you can get an MA or you can do PGCE, anything you want, whilst I think you can end up getting slightly pigeonholed if you don't have those kind of skills. My name is Julie Timbrell. I work uh, for Southwark Council in the scrutiny team. I think it's good to do a degree if you're to develop yourself intellectually or artistically and I think it's got a value in that of itself but I do think that that, that that isn't right for everybody and it depends what your motivations are so if some people it's better to go out and get a job and um, maybe they want to start a business so I don't think it's necessarily right for everybody and obviously some people want to do a degree for vocational reasons as well if they want to be a social worker as well so there's different, different types of motivations and reasons for doing a degree. I think education, a degree is the best thing to do for everyone. I mean, there are Mickey Mouse degrees, I know that, but um, I think it's the best thing because it just empowers you. At the same time, I think there's a growing divide now where certain degrees are looked down upon, and I do think that there could be a danger where people think that they, they get a degree, they're going to be able to move up into the upper echelon when a lot of people don't take degrees seriously unless they're from Uxbridge, especially in this country. Uh, my name is Armand Sarvarian. I'm a doctoral student at UCL in international law and uh, I do have a degree. I think it depends very much on the type of work that one wants to do. Um, I think at the moment in the, in the job market in the workplace there is clearly a, a deluge of graduates thing. There's uh, far too many people who have graduated from university but simply they just can't find the work which is appropriate to, to the degree which they did. Part of the problem I think is just that there's an expectation uh, in the recent politics that uh, all young people should be going to university straight out of school. I don't think it's very realistic. So um, you know, the fact that you know, certain young people are being more realistic, shall we say, early on, you know, just realising that you know, they, they need to think past the next three years, 
and thinking, you know, there is something which, which I can do, I'd be good at, um, but doesn't necessarily require a degree to do it. I think it's quite a good thing. Would you change the way that you've trained at the moment? Were you glad that you've done a degree or perhaps in retrospect would you pursue something a bit more vocational or jump straight into work? I think maybe if I had actually gone straight into a workplace and gained more experience, um, then I could have moved up the ladder more quickly really, whereas I just feel a bit stuck at the minute. So you're applying for jobs at the moment, what sort of stuff are you going for? Um, I'm applying for work, work experience in colleges, comprehensive schools and charity work as well, just like fundraising and things like that. And do the lot, a lot of the jobs that you are applying for specify that they want somebody educated to degree level? No. I don't really think it's essential. Sadly, in this day and age, I think it's a, it's a requirement to have a degree, uh, but I don't think it's a necessity. Uh, I think, uh, personally speaking, if I was interviewing someone for a job, a uh, huge amount of common sense and a proper perspective on life is far more important than having a degree. Uh, my, my children have got degrees and um, I, I sometimes ask questions about uh, the glorified holiday that they've had over the last three or four years or so. I don't think it's necessary, actually, because I think people can learn those things on the job and I think people can learn through all kinds of fields of life. But um, for me, it was good. I mean, I really enjoyed learning and I really enjoyed that opportunity and I think it enriched my life and it enriched my career. Because I think a degree is not just about, about your career prospects, although that can be important. I think it's also about understanding more about life and learning and... Um, experimenting and having a wider vision. A few different views there on the role of a university degree. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the programme, last week saw big demonstrations. Marches were led through the streets by a brass band chanting no ifs, no buts, no public sector cuts. All this in response to the likelihood job losses will result from promise cuts in the public sector budgets. So what does this mean for the long-term health of the sector? Joining me in the studio now is Mark Turner, Senior Partner at Gate & B Sanderson, an executive search and selection consultancy. His particular responsibility at Gate & B Sanderson is central government and health, and he's recruited people to some of the highest profile roles in the public sector. In other words, he's pretty well placed to take the temperature of the public sector job market. Welcome to the pod, Mark. Thank you. Very good to be here. So you work to place quite people in quite senior roles. What do you feel are the challenges facing that area of the workforce at the moment? Okay, uh, well, the biggest challenge is, at the moment, uncertainty over the direction of travel for the public sector. So um, senior people right across the public sector have been uncertain about things like whether their organisations might continue to exist or not. Different parties have said different things about possible uh, mergers, for instance, of... Um, Quangos, reduction of the number of Quangos, savings of 20% in senior uh, posts right across uh, the public sector, and therefore quite a lot of uncertainty about whether people have longevity in their in their careers across public service. The counterpoint of that, of course, is it puts even more of a premium on finding the very best people who can deliver efficiencies in organisations or who can really leave their mark uh, in a way which makes a a long-lasting difference uh, for the public service organisations that they work for. So that's one area of challenge. Second area, I think, is around things like the future of pensions. That's having an effect, particularly at the top level, in terms of people making decisions about whether 
the public sector is right for them uh, in the long term, and uh, a huge amount around of publicity around senior public sector pay. Clearly, all parties have said that they think uh, public sector pay at senior levels has gone too far. Uh, it's a very high-profile issue. It's potentially one of the more challenging issues around some of the election uh, issues at the moment. So, so I think that too leaves a degree of uncertainty for people about whether they can build their uh, careers and, and develop their remuneration at the same time. Well, you mentioned there some of the plans outlined in the political manifestos. And if people are worried, what can they do now to sort of maybe alleviate their stress or to take steps to sort of protect their jobs, I suppose? There is as much uncertainty in some respects in the private sector at the moment, is the first thing I would say. So, so I think this is not a unique issue for, for public servants. I think understanding uh, what uh, value you're adding to the organisation you work for, what role you're going to play in the future, how you might see your own skills impacting on the challenges that your organisation has... Uh, it's all the basic things around, you know, making sure that you're doing a role which has a place in the organisation moving forward, really. So so I would say, you know, just ensuring that you have the sharpest skills to help organisations face unprecedented challenges in public service. You mentioned earlier as well that people were now recruiting leaders that would be able to take them through the, the potential challenges. Mm. What sort of roles then and skills do you think employers are going to be looking for as the sector sort of shifts and might change shape? Yes, Uh, I think a big premium on people who can deliver efficiencies. So what that might call on is uh, seasoned leaders, seasoned chief executives who've got a track record either in the public or private sector of helping their organisations deliver real genuine savings and efficiencies. I think that might mean there will be a call, and we're already seeing this in some of the work we're doing, for very good uh, finance directors, people who've got the ability to to make a difference through thinking about uh, doing things more innovatively, looking at savings, looking at more partnership opportunities with with other public service organisations to join up together uh, to deliver efficiencies in that way. So I think those kind of skills really are going to come to play a great deal over the next well, the next few months but probably in reality the next few years as well the kind of people who can really help organizations to to save their budgets and uh, make genuine long-lasting efficiencies moving on a little bit now despite the sort of predicted gloom and um, the public sector was recently voted the top destination mm. for graduates in some research from the Trendence institute what do you think it is about the public sector that attracts this group of, of graduates you know what are they expecting from the sector is it sort of career progression what do you think yes I think it's about career progression it's about the variety of roles that you can undertake the public sector is very very good at creating people who are generalists who then move on to specialize uh, further down the track in their careers and and there are lots of opportunities I mean obviously we're talking about some of the biggest employers in the country uh, and therefore you know organizations which need a good base of people coming in at graduate level that can develop into aspiring leaders of the future potentially. So I think variety attracts, I think the opportunity to 
be at the heart of a very interesting high-profile public service also attracts at that kind of base level as well. You know, it, as some people say to me, it can feel a bit like walking a daily tightrope sometimes, but, um, but I actually think, you know, there's a kind of perverse attraction in that for some people as well. So, um, so I think public sector still has an enormous amount to offer for, um, for graduates, and that plays out right the way through to, um, to the most senior leadership roles as well. It's topped the poll of uh, the public sector for for the past four years. Do you think that it will remain as popular next year? You know, when sort of the changes and maybe the cuts come into place. Uh, I think it will become more challenging to attract the best talent because uh, the private sector will be emerging from recession earlier than public service, and I think that probably means that individuals thinking about um, career choices will be looking to reduce the amount of personal risk involved in um, uh, making particular moves. So what it probably means is uh, public sector organisations need to work harder to attract people. They need to be more innovative about their recruitment techniques. I think they need to uh, reach out to a broader audience to make sure they attract the calibre of people that they're looking for. And it's all the things which actually the public sector has learnt to do a lot better over the last few years anyway, but it probably will be a kind of gentle reminder that they need to up the ante once more to ensure they're attracting the very best people, really. Um, Let's talk about your career a little bit now. You've worked sort of as a headhunter for 20 years. How does that work and how do you get (laughs) headhunted? I'd quite like to be (laughs) headhunted. It could be arranged. Um, (laughs) It's it's a fascinating industry. It's not quite such a kind of dark profession as people uh, think it is, really. I mean, I, fundamentally, headhunting is about getting the very best people for the best jobs. And I find myself in a very privileged position in working to recruit leaders for some of the biggest, most complex jobs in public service. Uh, it starts from really making sure that you understand what client is looking for, what the recruiting organisation is looking for. What we then do is we think about where we might find those skills. And in normal circumstances, this um, the attraction strategy would be a combination of placing an advert in something like The Guardian to turn people's attention to the opportunity alongside being more proactive and going to find the people who we think can add the most value to the brief we've had from the from the client the other thing we do is we uh, seek views from people who we think might lead us to potential candidates Uh, and that's probably the most important part of headhunting really is to strike relationships and build long-term relationships to to go back to people and say who would you recommend if we were recruiting to this post and uh, that's where we get an awful lot of the um, of the leads that result in successful appointments. So how can you improve your chances do you need to be quite high profile and make sure that people are aware of your achievements within a company? Well it is about achievement it's about how you feel you can add value over others who you think might be competitors for a particular for a particular post it's about being able to present uh, the experience that you have both on paper in a CV or in a written uh, application and then being able to back that up with an interview style that uh, convinces that that you tell a good story and that uh, you've got genuine experience to offer for the particular opportunity. I think the biggest piece of advice that I tend to give people in conversations where they're thinking about making the next move is do your homework, 
get yourself inside the role, the opportunity, the organisation that you're looking to, to target. Think about what will differentiate you from other candidates and then present that information in a way which is both succinct but also sufficiently detailed to give the the kind of level of uh, evidence and example that people hiring at this uh, this kind of level in the marketplace would look for those are the things that i would suggest uh, would set you apart in the current uh, in the current marketplace particularly given that competition for senior roles is likely to increase at the moment as well you've got to find ways of differentiating yourself Okay, thank you. That's fantastic advice. I mean, I think we should talk to you again in the future, maybe after the election when there's more announced what's going to happen. But thank you for coming in. Okay, thank you. That was Mark Turner, Senior Partner at Gate and B. Sanderson. Now, here to reveal the must-apply-for jobs of the week, we have Kirsty Cummings from Guardian Jobs and Ali. A job in the great outdoors opens the chart at 10. The Forestry Commission is looking for an area land agent to work at rural sites, including the North York Moors. At number nine, the agency Fresh Minds is looking to place an Italian revenue management analyst at a global company spanning Europe, Africa, the Middle East and Asia. Number eight is a marketing manager post for the Brighton Dome and Festival. At number seven, the world famous British Library needs a head of public programmes to promote and deliver the library's exhibitions and events. A health promotion position at six. The British Heart Foundation needs an experienced cardiac nurse to join its Heart Matters team. You will be a spokesperson and source of knowledge for communications about coronary heart disease. At five, the Playhouse, a Birmingham-based educational theatre charity, has created a new post for a teacher-slash-actor to deliver participatory drama for children and young people. Another drama-based role at four. Dundee Rep Theatre is looking for a drama therapist for maternity cover. Three is a trainee post for a retirement housing manager at Hanover, a retirement housing provider. You'll be managing a small patch on the Gloucestershire and Welsh borders and will work towards a Chartered Institute of Housing Level 3 certificate. At two, the British Museum needs a broadcast assistant to join its communications department to film and edit short web videos. And top of the jobs is senior editor role at the Formula One news and live coverage site, ESPNF1.com. You'll be responsible for all aspects of editorial process and writing staff, as well as leading and developing editorial strategy for the site. Thanks to Kirsty Cummings and Ali there. You can find out more about these jobs at guardianjobs.co.uk. Before we go, let's have a quick look at next week's diary. Ali, what's coming up? A few things on the radar. We've got Why Aren't There More Women in Games, which is looking at why women are underrepresented in the gaming industry and offering advice to those who want to break in. That's April the 20th between 1 and 4 p.m. April 21st, we see Roots into Community Art Roles and then Opportunities in TV Advertising, April 23rd, and also Covering Letter Clinic, April 22nd. Oh, good. It's a busy week then. Mm -hmm. That brings us to the end of the show. Thanks very much to our guests, Mark Turner, Julian Lindley, Kirsty Cummings from Guardian Jobs, everyone who talked to me about using your degree in work, and Alison White. I'm Kerry Eustace. Careers Talk was produced this week by Kate Taylor. Until next week, goodbye.